The following sermon by Nelson Atwood was recorded at Noble Park Evangelical Baptist Church. For more information, please visit their website at www.noblebaptist.org.au That's www.noblebaptist.org.au I invite you to take your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, uh, we're going to read just a short passage here, and then we're going to look at this idea of the omnipotence of God, the greatness of the power of God. Ephesians 1 and verse 15, the Bible says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Jump back to verses 18 and 19. He's praying that they, having the eyes of their hearts enlightened, that we may know what is the hope to which he has called us, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance, and thirdly, verse 19, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might. The power of God is at work toward us. If you think you make it through this Christian life for a couple of seconds in your own strength, you are sadly mistaken. The reality is we don't make it one millimeter through this Christian life without God's power at work toward us to enable us to take every single step in following and obeying the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we've been looking at the attributes of God now for, or since, uh, was it last March or May? It might have been April, I can't remember. And we've looked at a lot of them. I just wanted to recap why it is that I wanted to take us through a study like this. And we haven't come even close to exhausting all of the idea of God's attributes but the reason why I did it was something that R.C. Sproul said in a, in a question and answer, and someone asked him a question that basically implied that God was unfair. And R.C. Sproul, if, if you know R.C. Sproul at all, and if you don't know, you can find him on the Internet. He, sadly, he passed away uh, just over a year ago now. But he turned around, and in his own unique way, he said, that's the problem with this generation. They don't know God. And everybody started to sort of a titter of laughter through the crowd. And he turned around and he roared, I'm serious. And it just went instantly silent. He 
said, we don't know God. That's our problem. And I thought, you know what? That's a good point. We don't. Now, I don't know about you, but I, we've looked at a lot of the different attributes of God over the last five, four, five months, six months. And I found my, my idea of God, my conception of God has just grown and grown and grown. And I've just scratched the tiniest of surfaces in considering something of who God is. So when I was in Canada in April, my brother-in-law, Dave, um, who I've known for many years, looked at me. He said, what's your goal in ministry? Like, what, what are you trying to achieve? And I said to him, you know, Dave, this is what I want to do. I want to preach Christ and him crucified. That's my goal. And as I was sitting there thinking about this today, this afternoon in my, in my desk at home, work on this. I said, you know what? There's, there's actually two goals I have in ministry. Number one is to preach Christ and him crucified. And the second one is this, to greatly enlarge our view of God. I've said it before, and I'll say it again, and I'll keep saying it. Our view, our vision of God is just too small. We put our idea, our conception of God into such a small box so we can somehow kind of comprehend and handle a God like that. But the reality is the God that we love and serve is infinitely greater than anything we could imagine. And what we need more than anything else, I think, in the day we live in as Christians in this world is to lift up our gaze and see something of the magnitude and the glory of our God. That's what's kind of driving me to keep doing this. A big God is worthy of all unfeigned, unrestrained love and worship. A big God, and I mean nothing disrespectful when I use that term, but a big God is worthy of our devotion to Him in prayer. A big God can be trusted with all our problems, and a big God is worthy of our commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to proclaim it and to live it out everywhere we go. Well, the, the theme is omnipotence, God's omnipotence. What does it mean? God's omnipotence is his unlimited authority to bring into existence or cause to happen whatsoever he wills. It is his power to make happen whatever he desires. Another guy said like this. He said, omnipotence is the all-powerfulness of God, his unlimited ability to act according to his own perfect will. And God's omnipotence, said Grudem in his theology, God's omnipotence means that God is able to do all his holy will. And you probably know already that the word omnipotent comes from two Latin words, omni and potence. One means all, one means powerful. He is all powerful. We would say that God's freedom means that there is no external constraints on God's decisions. So God's omnipotence is God's own power to do whatever he decides to do without restraint and without compulsion. The Bible says in Matthew 19, verse 26, But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. One of them asked him, How is it that man can be saved? And he said, With man it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. In Revelation 19 and verse 6, John writes and he says, I heard and what seemed to be the sound of the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. And John associated God with one who was all-powerful, almighty. In Psalm 24 and verse 8, the Bible says this, Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Who is He? He's mighty. 
Our God goes to war and he is full of strength and might and power. In Genesis 18 and verse 14, uh, Abraham is being told about the birth of his son. Of course, you can almost see Abraham looking over at Sarah and looking at himself. And, and this is coming up. What's going to happen? And the response of the Lord to Abraham is this. Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. We call it a prophetic future tense. It means it's stated as a present tense reality, even though it's still future. The, the certainty is so strong, he can state it as, she'll have a son. It'll be there. It'll be there. In Ephesians 3, verse 20, the Bible says, Paul is speaking, and he says, Now to him who is able to do... I love this. He's able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think according to the power at work within us. We'll look at this verse again a couple times. There's some other things I want us to see in this. 2 Corinthians 6.18, Paul says this, And I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. You know, I think one of our problems as Christian people living in a Christian culture is we're so used to the phrases and the names and terminologies of God that we just rattle by them and throw them out and we just run right by them and don't even stop to think about what we're saying. And Paul's saying, listen, God is saying to us, I will be a father to you. You shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. That's our Heavenly Father. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we worship a big God. We worship a God who is unlimited in his power, omnipotent. And there are thousands more described, verses describe the omnipotent power of God, almighty, strong, powerful. Those words are used to describe our God. God's power is not limited to doing only what he actually does. God is able to do more than he actually does. In other words, if you look around this creation and think about all of the extent of creation, all the power of the weather that somehow displays a tiny fraction of God's power, and the infinite amount, or whatever we can see, if you like, of God's power displayed, you know what? There's an unlimited amount more that God hasn't even shown us. We used to say about a speaker system we used once that my friend would say, they're just idling. Meaning that they're, they're not even really working hard. Brothers and sisters, look around his creation. God didn't break a sweat when he put it together. That's amazing. That's a God we worship. And all of a sudden, I feel very small. And I realize that we come each week, and we, I've been thinking about this throughout the week this week, we come into this place, we sit down, we bring our stuff with us, and we're busy talking, and we're, we, we enjoy a good time as a family of God. But I wonder if God in omnipotent power was suddenly visible, what would we do? I thought about it, I thought, what if I brought in here um, something like a 100 megaton bomb and just rolled it down the aisle in a crate? And I waited till everybody was really, like now, all you're kind of waiting to see what I'm going to say. And took the lid and just popped it off. How many people in the back row or in the front row would automatically just dive to the back row and get away from something so powerful? And yet we come into the presence of God that makes that bomb look like a gnat's sneeze. 
it's so small. This is the God we worship. In Matthew 3, verse 9, speaking about God's omnipotence extending to the beyond what actually does, what he can possibly do. Matthew 3, verse 9, he says, And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. John the Baptist says, For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. It's a future possibility. He can do it. He can take a stone off the ground and raise up people for himself. In Exodus 32 and verse 10, God speaking to Moses in his anger over the sin of the people of Israel says, Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, that I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. Moses, step back, get out of my way. Run away and hide. I'm going to get angry and my, my wrath will consume them for their sin. God is able to do far more than he actually does. But there are some things that God cannot do. We have to understand this in conjunction with the omnipotence of God. God cannot act against his own will. God's power cannot be described by contradictory circumstances. Let me explain that one to you. I remember young oh, years ago, someone asking me a stupid question. And you probably heard some of these stupid type of questions. Can God make a rock so big that he can't lift it? kind of a dumb question is that? Because you start going, no, of course, well, yes, he can't, no, he can't, well, yes, he can't, no. and you go back and forth, right? And you hear people, some people will actually ask you this, because you'll say, well, you said that God create, create everything. There's nothing unlimited in God's creative abilities. That's true. And you're saying God is absolutely omnipotent. There's nothing that restrains his strength and power to do beyond anything we can imagine. That's true. So can he bring a, make a rock so big he can't lift it? Well, first of all, there are two truths that one has to be disregarded in that statement for it work either way. And so you toss it out. It's a contradictory situation. So you just dismiss it. You don't even give that. It's a, not a valid question. God's inability in these specific circumstances does not suggest that his power is any way limited. It's under the control of his will. God cannot will or do anything that would deny his own character. So he can't will something that would go against his own character. That's why we define God's omnipotence in terms of God's ability to do all his holy will. It's not absolutely everything that God is able to do, but everything that is consistent with his character. For example, God cannot lie. That's the Bible says that. Hebrews 6.18. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. In other words, God made a promise to us and God cannot lie. So his promise is absolutely sure and amen. God cannot lie, and by implication, God cannot sin. I was looking for that verse in Habakkuk, your favorite book, that says that God is so holy, he cannot even tolerate the presence of sin before him. God cannot sin. God cannot deny himself. In 2 Timothy 2.13, the Bible says, If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. God cannot be tempted with evil, nor can he tempt us to sin. 
In James 1.13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. God cannot cease to exist. In his omnipotent power, you and I can commit suicide. If we find the right means, the right opportunity, the right method, we can make it happen. God cannot do that because he exists because he exists. I am that I am. He exists as an expression of his own will. He cannot will himself to not exist. The Bible says in Isaiah 40 and verse 28, Have you not heard? Have you not Sorry, have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He is the everlasting God. So he can't will himself to cease existing. God cannot act in a way inconsistent with any of his attributes. He cannot sacrifice justice for grace. Think about that. God didn't decide... You know, those are a good bunch of people down at Noble Park Baptist Church. I think I'll just suspend my justice for them and I'll let them have grace and we'll just, we'll just call it quits and move on. No. It's something to get a hold of, brothers and sisters, that God extends grace to you. He did it justly. He is both just and the justifier. He doesn't sacrifice one attribute for the sake of another. He cannot sacrifice holiness for grace or mercy. He cannot cease to be omniscient in order to be forgiving and forget your sin. When he forgets your sin, he voluntarily wills and chooses to remember them no more. That's an amazingly comfortable truth. God will never recall to mind your sin. He voluntarily, willingly chooses not to remember. So it's not entirely true to say God can do anything. And when you see a scripture verse that uses phrases like that, you have to look at the context to see exactly what that statement's being made. God can do anything he wills to do, and he will only will to do things that are consistent with his own character. All right? In order to understand God's omnipotence, we must grasp a little bit of God's sovereignty because they are they're connected. God's sovereignty means his divine authority with which he rules creation. Okay? God's sovereign good pleasure to do whatever he wills. Put it this way. God is king over his entire creation. He rules over it. God rules over the destiny of human beings and nations. God's sovereign will is free, like we said last week. God's sovereign will is not arbitrary. He doesn't just walk through and go, yeah, no, well, I don't know. Maybe, yeah, yeah, no, no. He just, he has a purpose in mind. His purpose is to gather all things in heaven and on earth and under the earth, all together under one head, one ruler and sovereign, which is Jesus Christ himself. His will is not, is free, but it's not arbitrary. God's sovereign will is righteous and holy. He created the world and gave his law as the rule for his creation to live under. In 1 Timothy 6.15, the Bible describes God as King of kings and Lord of lords. And as such, God calls and commands all of us to be, all of us subjects in human creation, to be obedient in love to him. All right? He sovereignly rules over all, and he, he has made a law, many of them. And he's made rules, and he calls us to follow and be obedient to those rules. God exercises his omnipotent power in agreement with the guidelines of his sovereign will. So he doesn't exercise his, his omnipotent power at a random 
impulsive moment in a completely arbitrary decision. Everything he does is in accordance with the counsel of his will and his purpose to gather all things under Christ. Now, last week we discussed the will of God. And God's will is his attribute whereby he approves and determines to bring about every action necessary for the existence of himself and all creation. And God is continually working to bring about all things according to the counsel of his will. So his will and his purpose are what governs and guides his omnipotent power to act and make things happen. All right, let's give you a bunch of examples. Um, God's creation required the omnipotent power of God. In Jeremiah 32, verse 17, Jeremiah says, Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made and created the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. In Revelation 4, verse 11, so he made it by his great power. Hold that in mind. Revelation 4, verse 11, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and created. His power and his will working together. All right? Hebrews 1, verse 3, you probably know this one already. Christ is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of God's nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So God desired to create the universe. His omnipotent power, guided by his desire, his sovereign will and desire to create, brought about the universe. And not only does he bring it about, he sustains it and holds it all together. Stop and think about that for a while. Just get your head around that. God sustains all of the universe. Think about just Danino or Keysboro or Pakenham or wherever it is you happen to live. God holds everything together. He's holding time and space. He holds the winds and the oceans and the power of all those different things. The weather, he holds it and he sustains it and keeps it exactly as he designs and intends it to which, by the way, includes things like tsunamis. And a tsunami rushes in and it goes exactly as far as God said and designed to, no more, no less. Everything falls under his control and his will. Christ's virgin birth, second example, required the omnipotent power of God. In Luke 1, 35 and 38, the angel answered her and said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. For nothing will be impossible with God. And the context of that, of course, is Jesus' birth. So God sovereignly desired to bring Christ into the world so we would be saved. In order to do that, his omnipotent power overshadowed Mary, and she had that immaculate conception thing. She conceived by the power of God. And I love the way that the writer and God just pulls the shade over that. We know it happens, and we don't know how, but he just lets us know it's the omnipotent power of God at work. Christ is and was the display of God's power through his works. The Bible says in Acts 2.22, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. In other words, God's power was working through Christ. He walked around 
touched a man and healed him. A blind man saw, a deaf man heard, a lame man was raised up to walk, a cripple was able to walk, a leper was cleansed, a demon-possessed man went away free of his possession. Why? Because the power of God was at work in and through Christ to do those things. that The Father might display Christ to the world as his special one. Christ's resurrection required the omnipotent power of God. In 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 4, the Bible says, He was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. What does that mean? In Romans 1, 7, He was raised from the dead by the Spirit of holiness. Power is mentioned there too. The idea there is it's the omnipotent power of God that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. God sovereignly desired to save us. God exercised his omnipotent power to transform us from sinners to saints, from rebels to sons and daughters, because the Bible says in Romans 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now stop and think about that. God who exercised omnipotent power to create all of the universe in all of its vastness, in all of its incredible complexity, exercised his omnipotent power because the state of us as sinners before God was so depraved and dark and wicked. Nothing could cleanse us. Nothing could fix us. All the works we wanted to do would not be enough. All the money we could pay, if we could pay it, would not be enough. Nothing would be enough except God's omnipotent power that moves us and changes us from sinners into saints, from lost into found, from enemies into sons and daughters. God's omnipotent power enables our endurance through suffering. Listen to what he says in 2 Timothy 1.8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel. How? By the power of God. I pray often, as I've told you recently, about how are we going to endure when suffering really comes, when suffering for our faith lands on this shore and in these doors. How are we going to stand? It's by the power of God working in us. God's omnipotent power to bring us right back to where he started from in Ephesians chapter 1. God's omnipotent power is at work toward us who believe to enable us to finish the race. Let's read it again. Verses, uh, verse 19. Sorry, 18 and 19. Having the eyes of our hearts enlightened, that we may know what is the hope to which he has called us. What are the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? God's power, brothers and sisters, in working toward us that we might live this life. I don't know about you, but there are times in my own life when I stop and look in the mirror and look in the mirror of God's word and say, I don't see much growth, Lord. I don't see where I'm going. I see more struggles. I see more gray hairs, but I don't see a lot more wisdom showing up. And Paul reminds them, listen, I am praying. I'm praying that you will know the immeasurable greatness of God's power because it is working towards you. It is being exercised towards you to cause you to walk every single day. And every day we get up 
and we walk a little more with the Lord Jesus and we learn a little more and the road gets narrow and difficult and windy. Whoever said that come and follow Jesus and your life will be easy was lying. The life of a Christian is hard, is difficult, but, but the immeasurable power of God is working toward us. It's the same power he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. It's the same power he worked in Christ when he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. That was the power of God that's working toward us to enable us to endure, to keep going. So what do we do with all this? I mean, it, I find it tremendously interesting. I find it fuels my worship to consider these things. But there's more to it than that. How do we live our lives in, as Christians in this year, in this place, in light of the fact that God is omnipotent? Well, Ephesians 3, verses 20 and 21. Take your Bibles and just flip over the page if you're still in Ephesians 1. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, the Bible says this. And Paul is closing off a section of the book, as you know, from a few months back. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. To him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly, the old version says, than all we ask or think, according to God's power at work within us. What is he followed up with? To him be glory. Brothers and sisters, the way we deal with this, what we do with all this is this. We glorify God with it. We glorify God with it in our worship and our prayer life. We glorify God by trusting him. Why? Because part of what our faith is, part of the, the, the object of our faith is the power of God. I skipped over a few verses back. Where'd it go? There it is. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 5, the Bible says, So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. We trust God to keep his promises because God is omnipotently able to keep his promises. We trust God that he will do everything he said he was able to do. And maybe he won't keep that promise in our life, our, our lifetime. Often God makes promises for the people of God as a whole. He promised the disciples he would come back in the same way he went up. And they waited their whole lifetimes to happen. And 2,000 years have gone by. And that promise is still absolutely sure and true. And amen, because we know that God made it and God will keep it. His omnipotent power is part of the object of our faith. We trust in God who is able to keep his power, his promises, and we trust him because he has the power to keep those promises. What do we do with it? We trust God. We glorify God by trusting in him. We glorify God by living in awe of his great nature and his great power. That's what it means to be in the fear of God. Look around us and see the omnipotent power of God. You can see it as you read through your Bible. You can see it as you look around in nature. You can see it in the weather and the storms. And that's a tiny, tiny fragment of his power and what he is able to do. We glorify God by living in the fear, the reverent awe for a living God and his nature and power. We glorify God by pleading the omnipotence of God in prayer. 
You ever get to time in your prayer and you go, you know what, I don't know why I keep praying this because it just seems so impossible. I don't think God's going to answer this prayer. It's just, it's, it's too much. I'm asking for too much. You know, God can do everything he desires to do without breaking a sweat or lifting a finger. You cry out to God for the salvation of a loved one. And you keep crying out to God and you plead the omnipotence of God would act and that person would be saved. We plead the omnipotence of God to keep his promises because that's what he is using to keep them. We glorify God by living in prayerful submission to God, pleading the omnipotence of God. We glorify God by humbly submitting to him and his sovereign will that he exercises in his omnipotence to bring it about. What does that mean? It means when God allows things to happen that I don't like, I realize that he is exercising his omnipotent will according to his sovereign will, and he is doing what he is doing for his purposes, which I know from Scripture are for my good and his glory. We were talking this afternoon, a bunch of us this morning after church, and Con made the comment. He said, our faith is proven not when everything goes well. A faith isn't proven when the days are sunny and our bank accounts are full and our cars are running well and the the dog barks and my wife hasn't left me and all those other things that a country song sings about. That's not when our faith is proven. Our faith is proven when the car breaks down and the dog runs away and the roof leaks and there's no money in the bank and the bills pile up. Our faith is proven when the pressure comes down upon us. And what we do in those moments is we glorify God by humbly submitting to him. We're crying out for the omnipotence of God to resolve that situation and get us through it. But we also humbly submit to his sovereign will and the way he's exercising his omnipotent power in those circumstances. And we stand back in awe of God. I said last Sunday night, there is never a reason for a Christian to fear. I might have regretted those words halfway through the week when when the wheels came off the wagon a little bit, a couple of days. But you know what? The Lord reminded me of my own words. He said, you know what? There is no reason to fear. Why? Because God is sovereignly in control. God is using his omnipotent power. You are living through this and you are walking through this and your faith is surviving. Why? Because the omnipotent power of God is at work toward you to enable you to get through. We glorify God by humbly submitting to him and his sovereign will. Brothers and sisters, I said it before, I'll say it again. We serve a majestic God, a great big God who is awesome in power and wonder. Listen to these words and we'll pray. David is standing before God at the end of uh, 1 Chronicles 29. This is what he says. Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might. That's the omnipotence of God. And in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. God has not changed. The temple is different. There's no gold. There's no fire. There's no smoke. There's no burning. There's no animals being killed and blood being splattered. 
The veil is gone. Jesus has conquered sin and death. But God is just as holy. God is just as exalted as he was in David's day. He is the same God who is to be feared and loved and wondered at and enjoyed. He is the same God who is exercising his same omnipotent power just as much then as now. The problem, brothers and sisters, is all those trappings of religion that they had in that temple made them see and realize in physical, tangible ways that God is omnipotent and massively powerful, omniscient, all those other things. But we've stripped them all away. And in some cases we're glad because we don't need animals, we don't need a fire, we don't need smoke, we don't need blood because Christ has finished the work. But let us not at the same time put aside that great view of God that David had. Let's carry it through with us and see God as a great God whom we love and serve. Let's pray. Loving Father, we come before you again and give thanks for you indeed are God most majestic. You are indeed are a God who is to be feared and wondered at. Father, we pray, we cry out to you, O God, that you would do a work in every heart in this room. Father, that we would have a view of God that is so much greater than what we've allowed in the past. Father, may the scriptures and their beautiful descriptive language that describes you in such beautiful terms, may it inform our thinking and may it drive us to worship a God who is infinitely greater and infinitely more powerful than what we have passed aloud. Father, I pray that our view of God would be so much bigger. Father, we do enjoy indeed pick up David's words and say, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel. Our Father, forever and ever, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory. Father, we thank you for the victory that was obtained through Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that there is no altar outside those doors. There isn't the stench of the rising smoke of an animal being burnt. There isn't blood splattered everywhere. And Father, there isn't a veil that separates us from you that one only, once a year, not without blood, can go behind that veil to see. Father, we thank you that we come into this place. And Father, we sit down in chairs. We sit around a table and celebrate the fellowship we have with you through Christ. And we share a meal. Father, we come together and we sit down and rest in Christ's finished work. It has all been done on our behalf. And Father, we come in here and we're able to do the work that we do. We're able to live the life that we have in Christ because your power is at work toward us. Oh God, I pray, I plead with you, Lord, that we would not lose sight of that great power that is being worked toward us every single day. And Father, we are going to finish this race because your power is at work toward us. Father, help us as we've been studying for the last couple of months to pick up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of truth, to pick up the helmet of salvation and put on our heads, to wrap ourselves with the truth of God, to hold the shield of faith. 
Father, to have our feet solidly anchored to Christ in the hope that comes from the assurance of the gospel of peace. Father, we pray that we would stand together, brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, we pray for unity in this church. Father, we pray that all of us, each of us in our own way before you, would see the glorified risen Christ in everything before us and worship and live a life of worship and would link arms with our brothers and sisters that we would all have one thing in common, and that's Christ. Father, we pray that our lives would make much of Christ. As we go out this week into this world, everywhere we go, we would make much of Jesus Christ. Father, tomorrow, as we go to a funeral service for Paul's dad, Father, I pray that they would see the greatness of Christ in that moment, those his family that are gathering. Lord, I pray too for the funeral service at the end of this week in Canada for Heather's dad. I pray, O oh God, that they would see the greatness of God in his life and his love for a Lord and a God who is magnificent. Father, may they not obscure the view of you in their memory of him, but may they see Christ. May they rejoice together in the hope they have because of what Christ has done. And Father, we do thank you for his life, for the way in which he lived a godly life for so many years. Father, we seek your blessing and your comfort for the family too. Lord, for others who are downcast and depressed and struggling with one issue or another, Father, just the, the daily grind of life. Father, we pray that you would reach out and take a hold of their chin and lift their, va their vision to see Jesus to fasten their hope on him, to walk in his light. Father, we ask you for these things, and we know, O oh God, that you have the omnipotent power to bring these things about. We plead with you, O oh God, in Jesus' precious name, amen.